You're listening to another podcast from the Cloud Adventures portal. This is actually episode number 20, so thanks for taking the time to download it. Things are going to get slightly easier over the next coming weeks. We're going to be stopping releasing these podcasts directly on the Cloud Adventures website, and you'll be able to get them from iTunes. So we now have an RSS feed going live. We have some new web hosting where we're going to be putting all the new podcasts from episode 21 onwards. Uh, the previous 20 episodes will still be available from the Cloud Evangelist media page, so you'll be able to get those, but I have no intention currently of re-releasing them on iTunes, purely just new content. So we're into November now, November, Wednesday, November the 7th. Uh, I'm still actually away. I'm on honeymoon. I've uh, been away for about the last week and a half, two weeks since getting married. Uh, and uh, I've been keeping really busy keeping really busy reading a lot of cloud stuff that's been going on trying not to do work but unfortunately i'm a bit of a workaholic and my email box is always uh pretty empty so uh, going back to work next monday with an empty inbox so i have no excuse not to be up to speed and one of the things that caught my eye this week was a white paper that came out of idc and IDC Gary Chen, he's been working pretty tightly with the guys over at the linux foundation who i also work with uh the white paper that was released talks about the whole of the open source aspects around cloud so it's it's pretty near to my own heart one of the things that it talks about is how cloud computing is changing the whole methodology of computing in a whole multitude of ways the whole definition of what we call public and private cloud and the survey was put together by IDC during the summer in August, I think. And it wasn't very many people taking part, but there was, there was enough to make this a little bit credible. There was nearly 300 participants took part in this internet-only survey. And the results that came out were pretty shocking compared to what I thought was going to come out of it. So I, I think a bigger target samples needed to make this more authoritative. When we start thinking about how important open source and open APIs and open standards are, you know, there was about 60 or 70% of people were clued up and understood that the whole open side of it was very important. But I'm not sure whether it was purely because IDC and Linux Foundation were talking to people from the open source community rather than across the breadth of the, of the cloud computing or, or proprietary IT computing marketplace. So I think that when customers now start thinking about who they're going to work with to start building their public clouds there is a greater perception now that you do need to start thinking about who is working on what open standards and who is working on what security standards it's one of the reasons that red hat have been working really tightly with the cloud security alliance and we've got guys at their uh, cloud security conference right now um and it's interesting when we start thinking about delivery models for cloud and we start thinking about the agile services that providers want to start deploying in the whole elastic on-demand scenario that service models are in a state of flux. We need to start thinking from an architecture perspective about what we want from an enterprise perspective to deploy on cloud. 
It's not just a question of turning up to a cloud provider, ticking some boxes and consuming what's available to us. A cloud provider has got to be elastic and has got to be forward thinking as our own IT department, or we've got to be able to blend these IT service providers into our own IT architecture model. And if you look at Amazon, you know, we've got the whole uh, the, the virtualization gamut within Amazon from the ability to rack up the credit card and deploy a single server or to be able to contractually work with Amazon across a complete virtual data center or multiple data centers. We have all the ability with Amazon to be able to go away and to deploy our applications and our databases and our technologies quickly and succinctly and also to be able to do it in a manner which you know fits our R&D budgets and fits our methodologies when we're starting to think about the scale and the approach that we want to take to cloud. But it's not just about Amazon. If you start thinking about what we're actually going to be building from a cloud perspective, we want to be able to build clouds out of what we've already got from our own heterogeneous environments. We want to understand the complexities of what we have and we want to be able to get to cloud on our own timeline and our own risk factor to be able to understand how governance and security and how the whole ecosystem of cloud needs to be able to fit into our own structures and models that we're used to be able to deploy and deliver both for our customers, be they internal or be they external, or when we start thinking about how we're going to be deploying new services to customers or to our end users. And that then brings us into thinking about how we do things like authentication and storage, how we start thinking about doing all the data live migration. And, and we start thinking about what we need to migrate and the speed that we want to do it. And to be able to do that, we need to be able to work with providers who are starting to think about the whole end-to-end -end life cycle of cloud. The involvement of Red Hat with the Cloud Security Alliance, we're working very tightly internally now on the Cloud Security Alliance STAR framework. Now, the STAR framework, you can go to the Cloud Security Alliance and uh, download what the STAR Alliance actually is, but it allows service providers to have a self-audited uh, framework or methodology so that when customers are starting to benchmark providers, they're able to tick, go to a STAR uh, certified provider and to be able to tick off the services and also the methodology and the uh, quality control that providers have used to build their services out and we're now starting to work to push OpenShift into that star framework to allow service providers to be able to deploy platforms as a service securely into their clouds enabling them to start attracting those enterprise JBoss workloads or those enterprise workloads from rel or rev customers and it's really important that we do it so the IDC report, I sat down and read it. It's only about eight or nine pages. It's it's definitely worth pulling off. If you go to the IDC website or the Linux Foundation website, you can register to pull it off. And it talks very much about how open source has a specific role in clouds and how open source has dominated the whole deployment and the whole emergence of public cloud computing. And it talks about how cost, customizability, full visibility and collaborative development models have all influenced and shaped how we get to cloud. And I'm not quite sure that they ask the right questions. They do make the point that just because a cloud contains open source software, it doesn't necessarily mean that a cloud is open. So you could have a cloud potentially which has components or 
platforms or layers that are compliant with uh, an OSI compliant license, but they also have their own restrictive or undocumented APIs internally within that cloud service provider to provide proprietary connectivity back to other hypervisor technologies or management infrastructures. Um, and it's important, therefore, to understand that you know, when you're talking to a, a public cloud provider that you start thinking to them about the whole standards-based API model. Um, and potentially if you don't, you know, you're at risk of, uh, of being locked into a vendor, but more importantly, how are you going to be able to push the depth and breadth of your cloud platform to a public cloud provider if half the magic is hidden? So you could argue that the likes of Facebook the likes of Amazon have deployed and pushed their clouds and benefited from the scalability and the resources and the, the elasticity from the open source community. But a lot of enterprises have already started deploying their own private cloud and they're using VMware or they're using Hyper-V or they're using Zen on top of a free Linux to go and do it. And the approach that Red Hat has with cloud forms, which enables you to build a cloud of what you already have, to be able to build those application blueprints, to create those app forms, to be able to get across multiple heterogeneous hypervisors, allows you to do it a lot more transparently. And I think the one thing that comes out of the IDC report is the fact that this actually backs up a lot of the work that we've been doing for the last 18 months, two years, as we've brought cloud forms to market. And certainly as we start emerging with a supported OpenStack model, with cloud forms working hand in hand with that. So you could technically agree that you know CloudStack and Eucalyptus and the OpenStack projects are all trying to provide a lot of these core platforms for you know public and private cloud customers however you know you still need the adhesive you still need the the the, 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 the bit that gets you through that difficult adolescence of cloud and and that's what CloudForms is and that's what CloudForm does so it's well worth you having a look and see if you can get on the evaluation program or maybe talking to your Red Hat rep or just being able to download the CloudForms architecture documents which are available from the Red Hat website it's interesting because I had a look through some of the figures that came out of the IDC report and again i question who they actually spoke to with regards to the participants who were involved in 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 the report now it's difficult enough when you're trying to do a survey to get people to respond everyone understands that but i i'm 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 looking at it thinking a lot of the people who who actually filled this in were from the linux and open source community whereas it, you know the you can only use the data that you've actually gathered you can't invent it so it would have been better for me to be able to have uh, a, a wider scale uh, catchment of of people to come back and fill this report out because to be totally honest with you nine pages it's a great report you know it makes fluffy reading but it doesn't tell me anything it genuinely doesn't tell me anything um you know it's it's basically it's, I, I could have if you if you if you'd given me you know some felt tip pens i probably could have done just as good because a lot of the questions that they've asked and a lot of the outlook stuff that's come out of it you know it's it's finger in the wind there's nothing here which you can really hang a hat on which is a shame because i really thought that you know a company with idc's clout backed by the Linux Foundation, would come back with something that was actually going to be useful. But if anything, it doesn't tell you what 
you know, where you should be thinking about putting the sensible money, where you should be thinking about looking with regards to technology evolution and technology adoption which is a real shame it, it, it was an opportunity to get something right out the at the gate to be able to put an authoritative report in front of people who were thinking about spending money and it could have been done a lot better however you know it comes to the same conclusion it makes the same conclusion that open source has been part of the, the major building blocks of cloud how we've got there so far um and that when companies are starting to look to build those virgin greenfield type environments that open source enables them to build those sandpit environments and those test day environments as they move to cloud this isn't anything new this is what we've been saying for two and a half years you know so again i'm not quite sure if you know the money spent on putting this together was actually uh, a good investment i personally think it could have been written a lot better so there you have it idc have come up with this white paper it's great that it talks about open source and it rings the bell and it you know it, it starts making statements but it's still very fluffy it's still very fluffy and it doesn't have the significance i thought it was going to have with regards to the whole public private cloud debate and also trying to identify the sort of technology swerves that you're going to have to think about as you start to evolve from your uh bare metal to your to your virtualized uh, environments and a lot of the people that IDC are, are, are talking to are people who are about to start thinking about that large-scale capital expenditure move to virtualized environments. And I think they missed a trick here. Maybe it was because they didn't think about the questions or putting the questions correctly. Or again, the target audience that they put together, 282 respondents does not a survey make. I, I would want to see at least 1,000, 2,000 people replying back to get some quality data. So the snapshot that they've got from the catchment that they've got is very poor. Uh, and again, as I said, if you talk to the open source community and you work with someone like the Linux Foundation who are a great bunch of people, expect to be talking to people who are already using open source technology. So the methodologies and the, and the, and the data that you actually get to be able to populate your report isn't necessarily going to be the clearest or the most well-defined with regards to trying to come up with your conclusions. So again, not knocking IDC. It's an opportunity missed. It could have been done a lot better, especially when you know there's been a lack of identification throughout the report of the sort of workloads people are starting to think about moving to cloud and also the raison d'etre of how and what makes them want to move to a specific service provider, not just talking about standards and APIs, which is really 1% of the equation. We've got to start thinking out the boxes with regards to uh, technology emergence around things such as uh, the ability to stripe across multiple hypervisors or the ability to bolt in existing applications or heterogeneous authentication platforms etc etc these are all the difficult things that we talk to to customers on a daily basis and if you don't ask the difficult questions you don't get the quality answers to be able to build your research on and that's what we build products around i mean if you think about Red Hat as an organization, Red Hat is more than just the shadow man. It's more than just a Linux distribution that's supported. And the value add, maybe we don't do a brilliant job of getting out in front of customers and talking to them about what it is that Red Hat actually does. And it's a real shame because the whole JBoss middleware piece is so strong in cloud. The JBoss.org developer community has tens of thousands of very very strong developers globally who are putting out some of the most kick-ass software out there on the internet right now if you look at enterprise organizations building their architecture and their background about the whole jboss piece around the whole 
business rules perspective and JBoss Advanced Server and EAP, it's it, it's starting to get to a point where you can't throw a stone in the financial district of any major city without using without without being able to hit a company that's relying on JBoss just to go to work. And it's the same when you start moving to cloud. A lot of organisations who are moving to cloud and using OpenJRE specific or compliant applications are using JBoss as their standard development environment. And the whole ability for Red Hat now to be able to take the experience that it's got both from RHEL and Rev and JBoss and to supplement that with the whole cluster piece around storage and around big data and trying to understand and push customers to be able to you know, own their own ambitions when they start moving to cloud. And it's very rare that you come across a company where we have an entire stack. It's not just about the Linux operating system. It's not just about a supported subscription. It's about the whole engineering piece and the engineering process as we move to cloud and virtualization. This week, I've been working uh, on some documents which and some articles which I'm going to be posting on the blog in the weeks to come. And I've also been sitting back and taking time out to read some of the blogs that the other Red Hat guys produce around cloud. So I want to draw your attention to James Labocki's blog, which came out a few weeks ago, and also to you know the amazing blog that Brian Che puts out, which talks about the tenets of open cloud and the tenets of virtualization, which are a godsend for CIOs and decision makers and also for sysadmins and developers who are starting to think about the rocky road of getting to cloud and adopting uh, service-based evolution uh, or bolting in a cloud service provider into their uh, portfolio of, of, of outsourced services or, or just thinking about what you're actually starting to try and deliver and what the expectations on are upon you as the incumbent IT provider. So if you get an opportunity, check out James's blog, check out Brian Che's blog, very much worth reading, very, very informative. And we're going to try over the next few weeks to get some really good podcasts out to you to talk about uh, Fedora. We're going to be talking to Robin and getting her perspective on Fedora 18 and some of the cool stuff that's going to be in there around the whole OpenStack piece. I'm hoping also to do a podcast with Brian Stevens. Again, we'll try and get Brian to talk about the whole OpenStack engineering piece. So, busy few weeks ahead. Let's get these podcasts in the can and get them out to you as quickly as we possibly can. So again, Thanks for downloading 20 of these podcasts. They've been a bit of an experiment. We never thought so many people would download them. It's been very flattering that you guys have. But from now on, all the new podcasts will be available solely on the iTunes RSS feed, which makes life easier for me. But it also makes life easier for you guys because it's just a simple subscription. The, the ability now for you to get these podcasts automatically increases this well because the last two or three podcasts we're talking maybe 500 to a thousand downloads per week of each podcast which is small fry this is this has been the experiment to see if people would actually download it and listen to it so in a way it's been very successful more successful than i thought it was going to be so now if we can get to itunes we can now look to start doing what like world domination in small bite-sized chunks not enough to worry david linthicum or any of the other guys doing cloud computing podcasts but certainly we got something to say and you guys like listening to it judging by the questions and the emails that i get and the feedback that i get and also people who are queuing up to actually come on these podcasts you know the magic clearly works so thanks for taking the time to download it looking forward to seeing you again but on the itunes rss feed mm-hmm.